0: To the new episode of the JCMC interview series. Uh, as always, I am Michele Introna, neuroanesthesiologist at Instituto Best of Milano. And today I'm very pleased to be with uh, Ilonka De uh, who works in uh, UMCG Groningen in the Netherlands. And um, she will talk about a nice paper that we published in the JCMC. Uh, which is Impact of Clinician's Behavior and Educational Intervention with Mandated Blood Pressure and the Hypotension Prediction Index software on Interoperative Hypotension, a Mixed Methods Study. So, uh, welcome Ilonka. Thank
1: you so much for this introduction.
0: So, I would start uh, briefly uh, with a short explanation on what's what your study is about.
1: Uh, Well, SHORT might be difficult since it's a mixed-methods study. Um, What we aim to do is not only assess behavioral aspects of the intraoperative management of hypotension, but also um, uh, assess whether um, the implementation of the hypotension prediction index would improve clinical outcomes in the sense that hypotension would be reduced And we would compare that to um, an educational intervention uh, with a mandated mean arterial pressure and to standard care. So that's in short what we did and how we performed that was by uh, performing first interviews with uh, clinicians to assess what barriers were in the management of intraoperative hypotension And based on those uh, interviews, they developed a questionnaire. And those questionnaires were distributed uh, across our departments to assess if the general population of our departments agreed with what came out of those interviews. And those questionnaires actually told us that there were a few barriers in the management of intraoperative hypotension. And the first was actually that it's just difficult in some situations uh, in case of trauma, in case of uh, major blood loss, in patients with difficult comorbidities, cardiovascular or renal comorbidities. And a second part was that you never can have the same plan for every patient. So you have to keep adjusting uh, yeah, for every different patient. And the third barrier was that, although it is primarily the responsibility of the anesthesiologist, of course, and the anesthetic team, to manage intraoperative hypertension that it is also appreciated if it's like a carried responsibility for the entire team also the surgical department um, and those three things actually made it difficult for uh, clinicians to manage hypertension and that was the behavioral part of the study and the clinical part of the study as i briefly stated was uh, about three cohorts first we assessed The incidence and time-weighted average, which is a measure of severity and duration of hypotension in a a standard care cohort in 50 patients. And then we gave the clinicians an educational intervention, which consisted of um, a refresher, actually, on uh, the known association between uh, intraoperative hypotension and adverse postoperative outcomes. And uh, we asked them to keep the mean arterial pressure above 65 throughout the entire procedure. And in the third cohort, we implemented the Hypotential Prediction Index. The clinicians were able to use it, and not only the HPI, but also the secondary variables it provides, like stroke volume variation and uh, DPDT, for instance. And what we found is that actually between standard care and the educational intervention, there was no difference in time-weighted average. Uh, of hypotension, but when the HPI was used, we did find a difference um, regarding the time-weighted average of hypotension. And the final part of the study conducted of, uh, consisted of a, a questionnaire which was only provided to the clinicians that used the HPI. And they generally reported um, that they found it beneficial. Um, they were happy to use it, but they weren't sure if it would improve outcomes. And this was also quite at the beginning of the HBI, So uh, literature regarding HPI and outcomes were not available yet. So yeah, it was consistent with the literature that no improvement was found yet, but um, that's in short what we did in our study.
0: Uh, so because uh, your data set refers to what year? When, when did you start your the enrollment?
1: Uh, we started in 2019 and we finished up in 2021.
0: Yeah. Okay, so just uh, for the listeners uh, and to to keep track of the pathway, I would like you to ask what was the journey from the generation of the idea and from and to the data collecting and to the to 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 the, to the writing of the of the paper.
1: Um, well, I think about 10 to 15 years ago, the big papers came out regarding uh, intraoperative hypotension and adverse outcomes postoperatively, and I only joined this research group a little later in 2019, um, but my hemodynamic research group was already uh, really focused on uh, things like this. and. They were approached by Edwards to perform the validation study, a retrospective validation study. So they collected data um, uh, and uh, that was the external validation of the Hypertension Prediction Index. And after an external retrospective validation, it's of course good to also do a prospective validation. Uh, But with all big new things, uh, you're not alone testing this and wanting to research this. So um, the team was very eager to not only assess the clinical part, but also to assess um, a more behavioral aspect, because uh, clinician behavior is actually really important in adopting technology, but also in uh, detecting why uh, intraoperative management of hypotension remains so difficult, although we all know that the association with adverse outcomes is there. Um, So that's when uh, also the technical, uh, not only the clinical part was uh, um, thought of, but also the behavioral parts. And I think what was um, really important um, is that they, uh, at the time, they did not only wanted to do uh, proper hemodynamic management by um, preventing interoperative hypotension, but they also wanted to try to prevent it with the right treatment. So they made a very extensive algorithm, as you can see in the paper. Um, and with that algorithm, uh, we try to make sure that intraoperative hypotension was, was treated causally. Uh, so uh, vasopressors were used at the right time, fluids were used at the right time, and uh, inotropic agents were used at the right time. So that's kind of the pathway um, from the idea to the start of the study. And during the study, um, it was conducted in the UMCG, where I work, and in York Hospital um, to have two, two different populations, but also, uh, yeah, a two-centre study. Um, and after we finished up, um, yeah, we collaborated with, uh, with Simon Davies, who is the PI of the study. Um, to finish it up with, uh, with the paper that was uh, recently published.
0: What is really fascinating uh, to hear, and uh, I know what you're talking about because I was there, and I mean, I've been in, in UMCG, it's that, uh, and it's nice to, to hear from scientists, that research is a team effort. It's not just, uh, you, you are talking about us, you are talking about the team, and this is the, the only way for producing uh, high quality uh, data sets and high quality science. So um, it's a message that we always have to keep in mind that uh, uh, organization logistics and team efforts and, and team roles are, are the key for, for research. And regarding uh, the, the practical aspects of, of, of doing research, If you could uh, just uh, tell us uh, in brief, uh, what were also the challenges in in performing the studies? Well,
1: you're very correct. Uh, Without the team, it wouldn't have been possible. And it's always surprising to see how many people are involved in performing a clinical study. Um, So I'm really grateful for the entire team that that worked with me on this project. Um, But one of the challenges in a practical sense is that uh, we started in 2019 and finished the study in 2021. And that was, of course, COVID because I was a full-time um, yeah, research uh, PhD candidate at the time and just from one day to the, to the next day, I couldn't come into the hospital. We had to abruptly stop our research. We weren't really sure when we could proceed um, and, of course, all the attention wasn't focused at research, but just at, at yeah managing uh, healthcare during the pandemic. Um, so I think that was kind of the practical challenge we faced. And I think in a later stage, a challenge for us was to write a mixed method manuscript um, in which we could address both the behavioral parts um, properly um, and also the clinical part within a, a word limit. So I think that was the biggest challenge of, of finishing up the, the study.
0: Okay, perfect. Thanks. Um, I was also curious because you know that uh, many criticisms came out in the in the past months regarding HPI so there is a lot of discussion at the highest levels of scientific uh, community in intensive care and uh, and anesthesiology so I would like uh, you to tell us if you think that all these uh, criticisms that were raised uh, could influence the interpretation of the data, because the, this data set is uh, referring to data that were collected uh, in 2020, so where there was not uh, such a discussion in the, in the community, so I was wondering if this could have been impacted your, your data.
1: Uh, I think it's definitely relevant. Um, I do not think it necessarily uh, affects the results of our of our study um, because it, it didn't uh, impact us at the time, but, um, and it would have been difficult to address it if it was happening while we were conducting the study, I think. Um, but I think it's, it's definitely true what you're saying. There's a lot of criticism and it's especially regarding the predictive abilities Linear extrapolated mean arterial pressure has been suggested as mean arterial pressure itself as a predictor of hypotension. Um, And the difficult part is there are a lot of suggestions in the literature, but a direct head to head comparison between HPI, mean arterial pressure, or linear extrapolated pressure um, is not there yet. So we're still kind of waiting on, on those results. And I think. What is kind of overlooked in this discussion is uh, what I also mentioned earlier. Um, the HBI also delivers secondary variables suggesting things about contractility, uh, pressure responsiveness to fluids, uh, and fluid responsiveness. Um, and I think currently we're only focusing on on the first part, so we're primarily focusing on the prediction of hypotension and I think more research is needed to assess whether um, those other methods are comparable or not. But I think the second part, which is actually the holy grail on hemodynamics, of course, assessing um, what the the causes of the hypotension. Uh, I think that's equally or even maybe more important. Um, and I think we're kind of kind of overlooking that at the moment. So I think that needs to be addressed as well, but maybe in a later stage. And what we found is in our second cohort, we asked clinicians to keep the minotaur pressure above a certain threshold, and it didn't improve outcomes. So that suggests we do need an extra alarming function to help us with that. Um, so I wonder if uh, if you, mean arterial pressure, for example, is equal to HPI, Um, will it perform clinically just as good as HPI? So I think we need a lot of more research to uh, answer a lot of those questions. Um, And uh, it remains a very difficult topic because also if you're trying to assess predictive abilities, you need a cutoff threshold just like the HPI has 85. We need it as well for mean arterial pressure or linear extrapolated uh, mean arterial pressure as well. So um, there are a lot of answers or a lot of questions that still need to be answered uh, regarding this topic.
0: Perfect. Uh, Very, very clear as always. So. (laughs) I partly you you already answered because it, it, I I would have liked to ask you where we can build on from this trial from your study but I think you partially gave us uh, an answer but I would like to be more clinical and asking you um how do you feel the outcomes of the study should impact the practice uh, of an, of the, the average anesthesiologist uh, today, reading the paper or listening to this, uh, this podcast?
1: Well, I think primarily we need to be aware of our barriers. And I think this paper illustrates a few of the barriers that people feel towards managing uh, hypotension. Um, we also need to be aware that in the second cohort, we didn't see an improvement regarding intraoperative hypertension, suggesting that um, this method probably doesn't work. So if you don't have the availability of HPI or anything else in your hospital, um, it's better probably to set an alarm a little higher than a mean arterial pressure of 65. Because when it reaches 65 or below 65, you're a little bit too late. Uh, so in that sense, I think this paper illustrates that a proactive approach is necessary and that although you might not have all the resources, um, please try to think about what could cause hypertension and treat it causally instead of always using fluids or vasopressors or um, giving a standard, a standard uh, approach for every patient. So I think that's kind of what we can address clinically. And of course, for the future, uh, I kind of answered it, but I think there's a lot of things we can look at, but primarily, I think a proactive approach is really necessary and preferably um, a causal treatment for hypertension rather than uh, giving a solution by treating it differently uh, with vasopressors or fluids or inotropes when it might be something else that's causing hypertension.
0: My suggestion would be to Follow all the discussion that is happening uh, on the topic uh, because it's a very, very, it's very important clinically. First of all, and the discussion regarding HPI in this moment is really uh, something you have to keep an eye on. Even if you are not uh, into hemodynamics, um, it's it's really a, a really hot topic, and this is why I'm uh, I'm so proud that the JCMC publishes uh, such, uh, such papers and also invest efforts in uh, uh, spreading uh, science uh, in, uh, through this podcast and, uh, and video series. So um, I think we, we are uh, ending up, uh, we are reaching up an end. So, because the time is running out. So thank you, Ilonka.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: And uh, for the listeners, I invite you all to subscribe to our channels on YouTube, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts and all the podcasting platforms. And uh, see you in the next episode of the JCMT interview series.